Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. games on film the podcast that celebrates video game movies and it is also my favorite podcast on the citadel which is a reference mass effect fans will get but uh rory might not had he heard that expression before the citadel yeah i've heard of citadels in general okay but not specifically the citadel Okay, so um, in this 10-hour podcast, I'm going to go through the entire <laughs> lore of Mass Effect. In fact, I did this myself just to try and refresh myself. And it was like, oh, wait a minute, this goes back thousands of years. Can we just go? I want to start with Mass Effect 1, please. <laughs> but, um, anyway, yes, we are doing Mass Effect Paragon Lost, the animated movie from, I think, was it 2012? Yes. So 2012, so it came out actually after Mass Effect 3, based on the uh, alignment of the calendar, you know, dates, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, those things. I, you'd have to help me out with this, but it's set sort of concurrently with Mass Effect 2 or mm. just after Mass Effect 2? So I think right at the top here, I've got a very special spoiler warning <laughs> coming. So... Rory has not played any of the Mass Effect games, and I would very much like him to play them one day. And so even though this film does reveal some of the overarching plots of Mass Effect 1 and 2, uh, so we'll be doing spoilers for those, but as, as limiting the amount of spoilers as we can. The only spoiler from Mass Effect 3 is really the slither of story uh, pertaining to the character James Vega, who is the protagonist of Mass Effect. So to answer your question... Protagonist of Mass Effect, the movie. Mass Effect, the movie, of course. So to to clear up one or two things, in the, the start of this film, they talk a lot about how Commander Shepard, who is the protagonist of Mass Effect games, uh, at least in the main trilogy, uh, everyone thinks that they are dead. But for someone who's not played the games... I guess that would lead you to believe that you th that Shepard dies at the end of Mass Effect 1, when in fact, that's the opening scene of Mass Effect 2. Okay. Mass Effect 2 begins with uh, Shepard's spaceship, the Normandy, being destroyed and, belie and everyone believing all hands dead. There are some people who escaped in shuttle pods, I believe, but everyone thinks Shepard is dead. And so this film takes place during the time everyone thinks Shepard is dead, and Mass Effect 2 proper begins with Shepard being brought back uh, in, onto the scene. And at the end of this film, they do say, oh, Shepard's alive, by the way. <laughs> Shepard's alive? He says, Shepard's alive! <laughs> so I guess we'll talk with as much focus as possible about our relationship with the games. Uh, as I've said, I'm, I'm the big player and I 
fell in love with this trilogy. I played the first two games twice over. The second time I played the first game was mainly to correct a choice I had made in the in the first game because the trilogy is about choices. It is about tough choices. And there are times when you really have to choose between, you know, which character is going to die. And I really regretted my choice. So I played the whole game again just to get to a sort of a final act decision. In terms of the film Paragon Lost, it also hinges on some massive choices too. And so that's very much in keeping with the games that you're basically making all these choices and then regretting those choices the (laughs) more you play. Yeah, I mean, let's not beat around the books. We're only about five minutes into this podcast. The film doesn't really give a properly good reflection of the games, in my opinion, apart from this big choice the main character has to do at the end. And then it was like, I I perked up and it's like, oh, goodness, this this is Mass Effect. They have to choose between a rock and a hard place. Um, It's the choice of an entire colony dying versus saving one person who also happens to have special intel in their possession. And that's treated as like a, a humongous, massive choice. But this whole story is is basically told to you in mass effect 3 through some sort of like a casual conversation so i had forgotten this i had forgotten that you've been told this in mass effect 3 so i'll be interested i'll be i wonder what a viewer i guess such as yourself well we, we i was gonna say such as yourself who's never played the games was, was thinking about where where the choice is gonna go you don't sound too thrilled well, aside from the fact that there won't be an N7 program if we don't win this war, I just... Being a soldier is the only thing I've ever been really good at. And not because I try. I lot to kick my ass out years ago. Last time I had a command, I lost almost everyone. And they promoted me for it. I guess I'm just not sure if I'm ready to lead again. I don't know if I want that responsibility. You mentioned that before. What went wrong? What didn't go wrong? As I said, you you go through the games making these choices and it, as the games go on, you realise that on your Xbox or PlayStation disc, there's like entire storylines which you'll never get to see. <laughs> like when certain characters die, they, they die in your Mass Effect 1, but if you didn't kill them, they're in Mass Effect 2, but I never got to see those stories. I just got to see, you know, they were just existing on that disc. It's like, oh, if only... When it didn't kill you. <laughs> At least with a choose your own adventure book, you can just like skip to the chapter that you didn't do and just sort of fill in mm. the gaps yourself. I mean, that's one of the beauties of YouTube, isn't it? Where now you can basically watch the good endings and the bad endings and all that stuff and, and not put in the actual legwork. God, yeah. I mean, like <laughs> gamers have never had it so good when it mm. comes to video game endings and these binary choices and these tough decisions. And it's just like, oh, well, I'll just do this and I'll see the other ending on YouTube. (laughs) Exactly. And while we're talking about endings, you can't really talk about Mass Effect now without bringing up this, uh, the controversy on Mass Effect 3's ending. So despite my love of the franchise, I didn't get around to finishing Mass Effect 3 until about 2015. So, you know, my, my memories of this game these games are a little bit hazy and i've been doing a lot to sort of re-educate myself 
So as I said, I'm not. I don't want to spoil any of the ending of Mass Effect Three. In a nutshell, I thought it was fine, <laughs> and I remember putting on Facebook that I completed it, and and you asked me on Facebook without spoiling anything, Harry. What were your thoughts? And I actually found my response. Okay. So, but did you play the original version or the extended DLC cut? So here's the thing. Mass Effect 3 ending, I think, is one of those important moments in, in fandom, I suppose, where I think maybe things have gone for the worst. I mean, we're, we're living in like the Snyder Cut world and and people seem to forget what deleted scenes are. You know what I mean? I've just watched Godzilla vs. Kong and people have already noticed, hey, these onset photos feature scenes not in the film. Well, let's have the restored godzilla versus kong cut and like fucking hell do you know what a deleted scene is (laughs) maybe they just didn't work and like the director has gone on record to say yeah that's my my delete my director's cut is in cinemas slash on your computer now and there's the there's a hashtag saying continue the monster verse i'm like fucking calm down it's like it's been out for a few days just you know let's see how well the film does and so going back to Mass Effect 3, there was a massive outcry about the ending of Mass Effect 3. And shortly thereafter, they released sort of a DLC ending, which I think just added one or two scenes and I think just a little bit of um, extra context, which made things not seem as bad as people thought but people still feel it's a bit of a, of a wet flannel so I'll, I'll, ch- I'll read what i wrote mm-hmm. um in your response i wrote i said uh, i've only played the extended cut and found the ending that i got which varies depends on depending on your choices satisfying enough it wasn't the most amazing final minutes but the last few hours leading up to it was suitably epic you're not sat down and taken through all your choices throughout the trilogy but that's a double-edged sword. It feels a lot more natural that everything's connected, but it also makes some of your biggest choices in Mass Effect 1 and 2 seem inconsequential. Having read through the original ending, I can see that those most invested in the universe would have major problems with at least one aspect, and that has now been changed in the extended cut, as this flew in the face of some established lore, which, to be honest, I'd forgotten about. (laughs) The vibe I got off those who completed the original ending was that it ruined everything, which is certainly not what I got. So I guess the extended cut, which is a free DLC, did its job. Anyway, I'd already decided that if the ending was bum, I couldn't complain as I've really enjoyed the 60 plus hours I had spent playing Mass Effect 3. And if you add that to the time spent playing Mass Effect 1 and 2, which I completed twice over, I'm looking at a full week of my life playing these games. All in all, the Mass Effect trilogy has genuinely made me laugh, cry, and fallen a little in love with various video game characters. It's a very well thought out universe, which feels as lived in and as real as the one found as the ones found in the greatest science fiction movies and TV shows. Uh, now to finish Fallout 3, which reportedly has an even more disappointing ending. Did it? I have not finished it, those poor guys. <laughs> I think I was, I was set on the quest to clean the water supply and I've not bothered going back to it. <laughs> <laughs> going back to the whole conversation about sort of toxic fandom and things, 
from I've been re I've been rereading the ending because I completely forgot what happens, and it just seems the major problem seems to be it's just there's not a one hundred percent happy ending. <laughs> there's not an ending. I mean, I think if you're playing these games, and I think some people play them like. If I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, and if I do this, I'll get the ultra happy, happy ending. There's not an ending like that in in Mass Effect 3. Just talking about endings, like on our Clue episode, we determined that it's impossible to satisfy everyone with just one of those endings. You need all three endings. And Mm -hmm. if the whole series has been making all these choices, it's going to be very hard to get to an end which then satisfies every single choice to get the correct ending for anything because you're dealing with so many different endings and in a way that's you know the fault of the creators of the game to i don't know paint themselves into this corner and not be able to be able to resolve it effectively but video games have had duff endings Mm. throughout history the number of times you know when you're playing a nes game and you get to the very end and it's just like thank you you saved me and that's (laughs) it you know i mean i've been playing triple a blockbuster titles recently and you have like an epic action sequence or a boss battle and then the ending is just like 30 seconds of them going oh thank god for that and that's it and you just think you know have a little time to sort of breathe before the credits roll so i just found it very strange as someone outside from the whole mass effect three ending controversy and having you know friends who were fans and you etc uh, not you, because you weren't getting very angry about it because and didn't complete it until a few years later. But I had friends who were really incensed that, as you say, sort of devoted all this time and energy. But it, it just kind of struck me the same as like TV shows where people sort of imprint the fact that the ending is going to solve everything. Mm. I remember there's the French TV show <clears throat> The Returned where dead people come back to life, not in a sort of zombie way, but in a sort of just people who died at different points of history and they all return back to this town in a sort of inexplicable way. And it got to the end of the second season, which is the sort of finale and whatever. And not to spoil anything, but it doesn't really explain too much as to why this happened. And everyone was like, I wasted so many hours of my time watching this TV show. And like the fact that it didn't explain itself negates all the interest. And if, if you're just watching a TV show because you want to know what the mystery is, I get it with something like Lost where it plays so much on that. But The Returned was so much more about the emotion and the characters. I mean, like the Mass Effect 3 ending, again, not to go into sort of spoilers, but is it one of those endings where it's like everyone's been waiting for this mystery to be solved and then they don't like the mystery. One of the big problems was a little... See, the, the one one thing I loved about Mass Effect was the lore. As I said, I, I remember sort of getting to um, the Citadel in Mass Effect 1, which is effectively, I don't know, Camelot of mm-hmm. the universe. It's like the, the main... Uh, hub, it's a big space station. You arrive and that's probably like an hour or two in and like i just remember feeling like this is a world with the depth of star wars with the depth of star trek but it's in video game form it was incredible mm. there's so many different species and we only see a handful of them in this film but 
it's kind of like it was it was sold to me as like a cross between James Bond, Star Wars, and Star Trek, which is like one hundred percent my thing. It's like two hundred percent of that Venn diagram. Pretty much, yeah. It's very Star Trek-y in but instead of Earth being like a founding father of the Federation, it's kind of like the latest system to join. So there's this all this sort of political tensions, socio-economic tensions. Like the the like one of the inciting incidents of this series is something called the First Contact War, where Earth goes out and starts colonizing planets, not realizing they belong to other aliens, and so there's a First Contact War. But by the time the game starts, there's been a peace for a while, but there's still that sort of bubbling tension between these two species. But that's only that's not the conflict. That's just that's just part of it that's just some of the character dynamics so there's so much law and a lot of that law gets explained to you in like a codex diaries which i didn't i enjoyed to a point because they got narrated by a narrator as well as text and the narrator spoke very slowly Mm. so I, i kind of had to mute the audio when i was reading the codex because it was like the alliance systems with earth in its center and i was like i'm like I'm way ahead of you already. Anyway, so there was some just uh, just skirting around the issue. Basically, there's like a line of law which says if this happens, basically the galaxy gets destroyed. <laughs> and then I think it kind of happens in Mass Effect Three, but without that galaxy destroying repercussion kind of explained. And mm. I think in the clear sort of Benioff and Weiss game of thrones sort of way i I think the writers just sort of forgot (laughs) because they'd written so much law and the sort of the toxic haters seem to really gather around that so um to answer your question it was not really like a disappointing mystery it was more that the game's original ending seemed to imply that the the best ending still destroyed the universe (laughs) Uh-huh. But but only if you cared about that. If only if you read that law. So anyway, it's very convoluted. But circling right back to kind of mass effects in general, I still feel that this was kind of the flashpoint, just one of the telltale signs that creators can't just tell a story anymore. They got they've got to please the fans, and they'll cause a massive stink. And it's always a vocal minority. I'm sure like millions of people enjoyed Mass Effect 3 just fine. Yeah, it's misery writ large. Mm. <laughs> yes. The outrage over Mass Effect 3's ending is now getting an answer. This war has brought you here today. The next few hours will decide the fate of everyone in the galaxy. Some gamers have been unhappy with it, and after much outcry, they just might get a new ending to choose from. The reaction of the release of Mass Effect 3 has been unprecedented. On one hand, some of our loyal fans are passionately expressing their displeasure about how their game concluded. We care about this feedback, and we're planning to directly address it. He then went on to say, We're working hard to maintain the right balance between the artistic integrity of the original story while addressing the fan feedback we've received. This is in addition to the existing plan to continue providing new Mass Effect content and new full games. So rest assured that your journey in the Mass Effect universe can and will continue. Like, I think I've said it before in a previous episode, but 
I, I do believe that the Mass Effect 3 ending is responsible for Donald Trump being elected president <laughs> of the United States. And I mean that in the sense that Mass Effect 3, in a way, was a antecedent for Gamergate. And what I mean by that is I don't mean that, oh, everyone who hated the Mass Effect 3 ending instantly became a misogynist and <laughs> joined the sort of Gamergate campaign. I mean that what it did was it created in the response that EA and Bioware had in order to create this extended DLC, hearing the fans and the outrage and therefore answering to them, it emboldened gamers that, oh, we can affect change when we don't like something. Mm. It's it's more just like it allow it it proved that this could work and mm. it therefore emboldened users to do that. And in that same sense, Gamergate, the you can see the sort of line being drawn to the sort of like 4chan, incels, QAnon, Donald Trump, all these, you know, sort of message boards and all these sort of campaigns really made a, a difference in a pretty bad way in most instances. I mean, like you were saying earlier, the the Snyder Cut, it was one of those things where People say, oh, it was like a kind of, you know, we raised money for charity and all this kind of stuff. But you forget that it's just incessant badgering. Like the fact that Warner Brothers accounts or any film related to Warner Brothers, they couldn't tweet anything. And I'm not like defending corporations, but it's just like every single tweet. Oh, you love corporations. You don't tax the corporations. They do enough (laughs) for us. Please support us through buying products for us to review via our Amazon wishlist. No, I, I, I think it's one of those things where, yeah, it's just like you couldn't see anything without hashtag release the Snyder Cut. Yeah. Or at the moment, it's like justice for Johnny Depp, sack Amber Heard. It's just this whole kind of like constant badgering. And sometimes things acquiesce. And I think, instant, you know, we looked at the Sonic the Hedgehog movie, but that wasn't like a kind of campaign against the studio. It was more just like fan reaction was like, oh, hell no. And then they sort of thought, oh, well, we better change it. And, you know, it worked pretty well for them in that respect. I couldn't care either way. I'd still, obviously, for this podcast, watch that horror show, (laughs) you know, version of Sonic anytime. This whole stink about Mass Effect 3 set the bar for this kind of, intense internet campaigning and the fact that EA and Bioware you know whether they caved in or whether they already had this ready to go it it really I think sort of created the environment to allow something for Gamergate to be able to become quite as sort of pronounced and effective as it was and even uh, as recently as sort of November last year Bioware's narrative director tweeted saying that the storm around both Dragon Age 2 and also Mass Effect 3 and the ending and the controversy that surrounded it, he said it was a proto-Gamergate. And everyone got up and on and saying like, oh, we didn't dox any of your employees. Oh, we weren't being misogynist and all this kind of stuff. And I think they missed the point in that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not proto-Gamergate in terms of everyone was like evil in their response to the Mass Effect 3 ending. It was more... As I say, it meant that they thought they could effect change and militarize 
tweet tactics in order to <laughs> make more of a more of an impact. It's a brave, scary new world. It sounds like, <laughs> but yeah, creators shouldn't have to like be second guessing what the audience reaction is going to be. But yeah, it's if when you're creating a series with so much choice you do have to sort of start um, focusing and ending don't you i mean again i think when the game of thrones was starting to sort of reach its end it's changed from a series where anything could happen to like starting to focus towards an ending and sometimes people started acting really stupid to get to that characters started acting really stupid to get to that ending it's just it's a kind of impossible an impossible task and that's wrapping up sort of the whole game series. Of course, there was Mass Effect Andromeda, which came out mm. um, a few years ago, which I've not played. But the story starts, I think, around about the time of this film as well, because um, in order to not engage with the ending of Mass Effect 3, the characters sort of go off to the Andromeda system. As far away from the events of the games as possible. <laughs> yeah, um, but unfortunately that entered its own series of problems because the problem with ea and bioware is that they and then the mass effect series is that they do tend to over promise i mean not justifying the game i'm calling them gamergate now but not to justify the toxic response the bioware and and ea were were promising the moon on the stick and i just remember playing mass mass effect one is a very good example because it was like this it had incredible graphics but they took forever to load. So you're sometimes play, talking to sort of textureless nightmare people for like a split second before <laughs> you know, their textures appeared. And also it created this citadel I was talking to you about, like this massive space station. You know, you never got any loading screens, but you did get sort of minute long trips through elevators to get to various parts of the world. Oh, I wonder why. You know, there's a Mass Effect 1 also had this, vehicle called the mako which makes an appearance in the film we're talking about lots of people didn't like driving around in like a remote control car i personally loved it but it's telling that in mass effect 2 the sort of what you use the mako for which was searching planets and picking up elements and items and things that was kind of done kind of through like an like a like a spreadsheet <laughs> or like a not really a spreadsheet but it was like a you'd select a planet and scan the planet from space so you know i think trying to be as epic as it possibly could sometimes backfire and from what i gather from mass effect Andromeda, yet again they they promised so much but i think it was one of the biggest uh contributors to our knowledge of crunch time now i think they made the game in in like no time at all and that's the thing like you see it now with obviously the reaction to cyberpunk 2077 you saw it when no man's sky was not everything that everyone hoped it to be forgetting that it was made by a team of like 10 people or something you know the fact that people were like trying to sue the traitors of mass effect for failing to deliver what was promised and and all this kind of stuff it's just like Guys, get a life. Yeah. Do a video game movie podcast. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, every November, there's something called um, N7 Day, November the 7th. So I think the last announcement, the last N7 Day, was the release or the announcement of the legendary edition of the Mass Effect trilogy, 
which is the first three games in a sort of upgraded mode. And I think two of the things we're going to do with Mass Effect 1 is improve those textures and increase the speed of those elevators in the Citadel. <laughs> but we thought this would be a good time to to properly have a look at Mass Effect. And um, I think one extremely unique aspect of this film, I was looking through all the films that we've done. I think this is the only film which which fits into the canon of the games. So though films like Mortal Kombat might be an adaptation of the plot of the game, I don't think you've ever done a film which would be like later referenced in the games or vice versa. I mean, this is another thing which makes Mass Effect such a beloved franchise. There's like books written by the writers of the game. And I actually read one. I read um, Mass Effect Revelation, which is an incredibly original subtitle. But that features a character who was only ever in books, but then shows up in Mass Effect 3. And you, you better believe when this character shows up in Mass Effect 3, I was like, <gasps> it's 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 Kaylee. It's Kaylee from Mass, from Mass <laughs> Effect Revelation. But as we said earlier, this film is the story of what happened to James Vega. And James Vega talks about this in Mass Effect 3. Talking about the characters of Mass Effect's Paragon Lost, what was your impression of James Vega? Um, uh, does he look that stupid in the game? <laughs> yes, more so. I think he's more muscly in the game. I don't think I... I can't remember the last time we watched a film of a central character so boring yeah <laughs> he's just a sort of like meathead with a heart of gold yep but still somehow more annoying than that sounds <laughs> he is the most boringest character in mass effect 3 and he's voiced by freddie prince jr of uh wing commander <laughs> um, yeah i didn't realize i did not realize it was him during the game you know so i read some reviews later and people said that this character only existed to have a celebrity voice, which I, I don't really believe. But one of the best things about Mass Effect, the games, is the cast of characters. It's a, I don't think it happened so much in Mass Effect 1, but certainly Mass Effect 2 and 3, it's sort of like a Seven Samurai Magnificent Seven sort of game where you gather a team together. And they're all such a diverse cast. They all have amazing stories. And of course, one of the other selling points in quotation marks of Mass Effect, it was like the set relationships, which eventually become sexual. And see, like in the last episode, and we said sort of, oh, against Bayonetta, you said, and now we're going to do something a bit more PG Mass Effect. And I said, that's the game where you have sex with aliens. Yeah. And it's just like, Right at the start of this film, like straight away, the first thing any character does is grope another yeah. woman, like grope a woman's butt and act like a complete sleaze bag. And then there's all the blood and swearing and all this kind of stuff. And I was like, Harry, come on. <laughs> like, what was your memory of Mass Effect? <laughs> okay. So I found that section incredibly disappointing because I think that's literally the only time I can think of any sort of sexual assault happening in Mass Effect. Okay. So I think it's important. I don't think this film was written by 
anyone to do with Mass Effect. I think um, it was written by Henry Gilroy, who was a co-writer on Star Wars Clone Wars TV show. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I and Freddie Prince Jr. sort of since his like teen movie days has has more developed as a voice actor in particular with the Star Wars Rebel series, mm. which led to him making a voice cameo in The Rise of Skywalker. But in massive in the games, it's only the result of an actual genuine relationship. I am of two minds though, because it's it's kind of sleazy. Because, well, I, it's 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 only genuine and sweet if you're not if you're only focusing on one of the other characters. Because I think you have the option to basically sleep with everyone. <laughs> and there's like towards the end of the second game, there's like a effectively a suicide mission. And it, depending on how you've played the game, you could basically sleep with everyone on your spaceship. <laughs> It's a, sort of it's a, a very final... different version of the Magnificent Seven. <laughs> it's a very different version. I mean, yes. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Looking good in that armor, Camille. You know, nothing gets me hot like seeing you go commando. Seriously? <laughs> Careful, Essex. You're going to make your hand jealous. <laughs> no worries, babe. She's your second biggest fan, and she knows how to party. <laughs> and strike 50 well whatever else happens today at least we can't get shot down any worse than that am i right yo nikki you okay kid he's fine he's just ready for some action aren't you you see any sign of that tactical package yet still waiting on it our omnis are synced and linked but there's nothing in the way of mission specs so far Makes me uneasy. Does Command usually wait for the last possible minute to tell us who the enemy is, sir? Seems weird. You gotta be ready for anything. Like Commander Shepard always said, nothing is ever simple. Damn, Vega, sucks for you that Shepard's dead. You two would have made a really cute couple. You think I'm ashamed to show respect for someone who saved billions of lives? I'm proud to follow that example. Laugh it up all you want, pretty boy. I know who my heroes are. Okay, someone's a little defensive. Whatever, man. You want a hero to worship? I'm right here, baby. That's so. But, you know, so on the one hand, I think it's a very mature and sophisticated game when it comes to relationships. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to hold my hands up. I feel like I had a really meaningful relationship with like this green assassin who shows up in the second game. And this assassin has got like a, a a disease, which means he's going to die. And I don't even think I had a sexy relationship with this one, but we, I was basically, I fully bought into being there for him on his like final mission, you know, it's so sweet. So I say it's all mature, but then you have like an alien race called the Asari, who are all big titted blue aliens who are very, um, they're all female and they're all very sort of sensual, you know? And it's like, hmm, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're all dancing over their bums in the camera. And, you know, again, hmm. But certainly, no, I don't think anyone gets grabbed. I mean, again, there's, I'm, there's over a hundred hours of gameplay. I'm sure maybe it does happen, but it just really disappointed me how the first thing you see is like someone being 
you know, sexually assaulted for lols, basically. But Harry, it's because the way you play it, it speaks of your character and the fact that you never were in a scenario where your character you're playing as was sexually aggressive to another character suggests you're such a lovely person deep down. I was a paragon. And so the title of this film <laughs> is Paragon Lost. And another selling point of Mass Effect is in the games, you get to choose to good to be a paragon or a renegade and how this happens really depends on your responses to people but again it does it in a sort of inelegant way where you really have a choice of being the ultimate jedi so good and virtuous or being a complete fucking asshole and then somebody who's like a little bit schizophrenic <laughs> so and as and always, you normally the, the best way to win one of these games is just to be good all the time because you don't really get any sort of use. There's no sort of practical reason to piss off people and and not get their help. There's just a handful of scenes where you might be having a rather pleasant conversation and then kick somebody out of the window and everyone around is like, "What the fuck, Shepard?" <laughs> Like, I assume, obviously, because the character of Vega is trying to be some sort of paragon of virtue. But I was sort of, like, thinking, is there, like, a spaceship called the Paragon? Because that sounds like the kind of thing you'd call a spaceship in a game like this. So I was like, at some point, they're going to find the lost spaceship, the Paragon. (laughs) It's just like, no. No, it can be confusing. So, I mean, I think this is a good companion piece to uh, Bayonetta because both throw lore at you um and i think in the bayonetta episode we were like completely bewildered how much of a handle did you think you had on things in this film well i think the way the film starts i think the first note i wrote down was what's going on because the opening 10 15 seconds there's someone narrating and then there's spaceships and then there's a portal and then there's a spaceship with like a blue laser shooting a portal and another spaceship comes out of that portal and then title and then that's it. <laughs> and then it's just like cuts to the groping sort of almost immediately. <laughs> yeah. So I was, so I think a lot of it is the case where I picked it up as I went along. There's a lot of times where characters mention other characters or they mention other planets or spaceships or wars or battles or things that happened and you just have to accept it like oh this is all part of the wider you know spectrum and I think what this has over the Bayonetta movie that we saw is that it is taking I do understand that it is events outside of the games so it's not being like slavish in the sense we got to fit this in we got to fit this in it's just a smaller story in a wider context so when they were saying things, I was like, it's okay, I can ignore that because I don't know what that means and I don't have to know what that means. I love, that sounds a lot like how Vega commands his troop. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? What should we do, sir? Uh, that's okay. I don't have to think about that. <laughs> um, so there were like quite a few things where, for instance, all these Marines in this Delta team, they're like suiting up and they just suddenly have like a blue wibbly wobbly thing on them and it's just like okay i guess that's some sort of a shield or like and then it turns out yeah it's kind of a shield it's a power cell or or whatever and it'll take maybe an hour before someone actually says that out loud but you just kind of get it 
the, the whole film has big Saturday morning cartoon energy. And I just sort of felt like this would be like if I just watched, you know, episode 37 of Mask. <laughs> Can you imagine getting to 37 episodes? Like, oh, gosh, the context. I, I mean, <laughs> I, will, it, will you understand what's happening in Mask <laughs> if you haven't watched the 36 episodes before? Well, but that, that's the same. There was It was more just me not knowing how much other characters knew about what was going on. I don't know if you want to go into the synopsis and maybe set up the kind of story. Yeah, okay. Let's do the synopsis. Um, and then we can talk a little bit. And then we can uh, pick I, it apart. And I'll do my best to answer questions. But I think just the forefront that I was similarly confused by some things. But um, So <clears throat> this ain't coming from the video box. This is coming from masseffect.fandom.com forward slash wiki mass effect paragon lost <laughs> fans of the groundbreaking mass effect franchise can't afford to miss this stunning motion picture experience born of an epic collaboration between legendary bioware and the visionary production ig ghost in the shell kill bill volume one mass effect paragon lost prequel to the best-selling mass effect 3 follows the early career of Alliance Marine James Vega, Freddie Prince Jr., as he leads an elite Special Forces squad into battle against a mysterious alien threat known as the Collectors. Stationed at a colony in a remote star system, Vega and his troops must protect the colonists from the alien invaders bent on abducting humans for unknown purposes. Outmanned and outgunned, Vega must rally his squad to defend the colony at all costs, even if it means making the ultimate sacrifice. I think that kind of does the job. Yeah. Do- doesn't really explain the first sort of maybe 20 minutes of bullshit animation. <laughs> <laughs> this is an ugly film, isn't it? It's really, really ugly. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, like with the you know the note that production ig are the are the studio involved so yes ghost in the shell blood the last vampire not, not the top guys at production ig i think no and i i think it's the the problem is is that it has this juxtaposition between like arcade the movie level computer graphic spaceships mm. combined with very ropey characters themselves and i, I it's one of those things where they keep on wanting to rotate the camera around the characters, yeah. but they have to then kind of redraw where they are. So everyone looks like they're kind of like slightly warping and shifting when they're just stationary. It's the perspective. Yeah, the perspective is just super wonky in places. There are some effective action sequences. And I think the sort of opening 20 minutes or so, as we say, there's like this skirmish war battle between this... Um, these marines this delta squad i think they are Mm -hmm. who have to protect this colony from the krogan blood pack and the krogans as i understand it are just sort of like big bulky slightly dinosaur looking Mm. uh warriors and kind of the klingons yeah and i was like as soon as they showed on the scene i was like i like these guys (laughs) (laughs) so humans whatever but these guys i can hang with and there's this big laser battle, basically. And some of it is quite good in terms of the action. I thought some of it was very punchy. You get the idea that there's like the lasers have a lot of impact and a lot of, you know, threats like characters get shot and 
die or get injured. Um, compare it to say like Bayonetta, where it was just like all this sound and fury signifying nothing. Whereas here, I was kind of like, oh, there's maybe some stakes um, with this action. But yeah, some of it works. Some of the animation is ropey as hell. Yeah, it kind of gave me a headache to be honest. Whenever the camera spun <laughs> around, like just just make your choice. Don't make it. 3d backgrounds and 2d animation but um i think also when you've they're kind of western designs aren't they they're based on mm. western character designs but they're done through like the, the japanese anime lens so it's just i think i've read some reviews of this film where people are highlighting how mass effect is, does its very best to be beautiful to be cutting edge and this looks kind of bollocks and i, I can't really can't really disagree there but in terms of just the, this sort of opening uh, action, I, I couldn't really work out the tone. And I think this film is very, takes itself very seriously. Mm. And yeah, there are characters who are very sort of like quippy. And when I say quippy, I mean annoying. Um, <laughs> but, you know, they sort of, these landing vehicles, which have like little legs, little rocket legs, um, like they look like uh, little robot Ibo dogs or something. Um, it's one of those cases where a lot of them get destroyed, but obviously not the one where our heroes we've been introduced to, their one doesn't get blown out of the sky. And then it gets this like slow-mo, the horrors of war, saving Private Ryan bullshit. Like, Oh yeah, when the sound people disappears. screaming and it's just like, oh, it's just like, I've known you for five minutes and I don't care. <laughs> like we haven't actually talked about what mass effect is like is it a shooting game is it so, a flying game is it's it a, it's a game called squadron it's a game where you basically run into various rooms with like chest high barriers okay um, that's not my it's not my joke i think but yeah halfway through mass effect 2 i just you go into room after room after room and they're all these sort of like you clearly know monsters are about to appear because all you can see in this completely barren room is like chest high barriers to sort of crouch behind and shoot from. Yeah, I think, well, I've played at least a couple Gears of War games, so I know yeah, exactly what except, you're talking about. So it's an action RPG, and the first game is very heavy on the RPG aspect. In fact, it's a little bit bewildering if you care too much about how you have to match this upgrade of this gun to get this amount of XP. Mm. Um, I think Mass Effect 2 dials back the RPG elements a bit. It's still there, but I think it's more on how like, you branch your abilities and things like that. With this kind of opening battle, and also with all the lore that we've been talking about, that clearly the attraction of Mass Effect is that you get to live your Starship Troopers fantasy. Mm. Or, you know, whatever. Like, obviously, maybe not the fascist stuff, but, <laughs> but you know, like the whole... You know, you're a gang of Marines and it's all about the relationships and interaction between them. So when you do go into conflict missions and characters die, you know, you feel more than just like, oh, it's just the grunts and I'm the hero sort of yeah. thing. I mean, skipping right to the end, um, I got a huge Starship Troopers vibe off the very like mon heroic montage of like, we're going to do this for the Conleys. Hoorah! It's yeah, like, exactly. whoa, whoa, hang on. Because, <laughs> you know, as I said, Vega to me was like the most boringest character 
Um, all the other characters have these sort of interesting backstories, and I think all of them didn't really live for war. But James Vega, he by design, he's like a bit of a grunt, and I guess that is interesting in Mass Effect Three because you've got this one soldier character who's like he's a soldier. Like otherwise, you've got these bounty hunters, you've got these um, assassins, you've got these scientists and things like that. The archaeologist was another one, but yeah, this this is definitely Starship Troopers without the. Um, the social commentary aspect it won't be easy things are getting messy down there but that's why they called us we're alliance marines people this is what we do any questions then who's ready to go kick some krogan ass sir alliance marines officer Uh, yeah, and I, th- I think the problem is that, like, I could see how all this stuff would be appealing in game form because, you know, in this film version, it just emphasizes how, like, derivative and generic it is. And it's mm. one of those cases where Mass Effect takes its cues from established sci fi cinema, for instance. Um, but once you turn it back into cinema, it's just like, well, I'm just watching something i've already seen before yeah i mean i got that vibe well as a fan like i don't think the story in fact the the story of this film does really heavily riff on mass effect 2 um a lot and watching it was like oh wow this seems like super generic and i just realized how much a dialogue tree really helps move things along (laughs) but just you know the ability to call somebody a, a twat for no good reason really helps (laughs) but i I think the other sort of thing it reminded me of in terms of what we've covered before is final fantasy the spirits within Mm. and i i think particularly after this sort of opening skirmish where they fight back the krogan blood pack and it's then two years later and this squadron are now based protecting this colony and nothing's happened in the past two years I, I have like, to say i do like it in a film when it does like a, a lengthy time jump it always raises my eyebrows like oh the earlier section must be significant it's not really but it's still like oh it's here where you have this very sort of military person in vega and this i guess this is one of the blue uh lady races that you yes, said earlier sorry Tria. Yeah, so the Asaya. So you have Dr. Tria, who's like the archaeologist at the colony. And there's this sort of. Vega has got the hots for her, but he's uh, too, I don't know, nervous. Oh, he's so nervous, but he can shoot a bunch of aliens, but he can't mm. even speak to a girl. Oh. Um, and start sort of blushing every time there's an opportunity to speak to her. But they're a little bit at loggerheads in the sense that she's an archaeologist, he's a military man, it will never work out. But they have this interference with their communications and they go to Sector 9 and they find the source of this is like this weird wibbly-wobbly thing in this planet. And she's like, we must study it so we can understand it. And he's like, uh, sorry, no, this, ain't an archae- it. <laughs> <laughs> this ain't an archaeological mission, babe. <laughs> I mean, not literally that. Um, and they destroy it. But she still like salvages that tech and she f- uses ancient Prothean technology in order to still like communicate with another doctor and say, oh, turns out this is probably something from the Protheans 50,000 years ago. 
Yeah. So to to talk a little bit about the Protheans, um, another reason why I love these games and this sort of science fiction is that it sort of says that there's been civilizations thousands of years before us. I mean, it ties into things like Mayan sort of stuff as well, how the Mayans are so civilized, the Roman Empire is so civilized. But um, at the start of Mass Effect 1, all we know is that the um, Protheans disappeared thousands of years ago. Nobody knows why, but they did leave behind uh, the Mass Effect relays, which was that blue portal thing you saw at the start. Okay. It is the linchpin to intergalactic travel. Basically, without the Mass Effect relays, no one can travel anywhere. Not even down to the shops. Not even down to the shops. It's going to use the old Mass Everyone's Effect. Everyone's so lazy in the future. <laughs> it's true. That they just end up, uh, do I really want to get in the car or shall I just Mass Effect relay to Tesco's? <laughs> it's, um, I mean, it's kind of, it's it's a cool, but also slightly unsettling on how like society is built on this sort of house of cards or what is it sand what's the expression foundations of sand house of sand sandy house is what's built on <laughs> um sand because, castle sand castles <laughs> because this this aforementioned citadel is also a prothean creation and you know we sort of just set up shop there and we just don't think about how what if the Protheans came back or, you know, what does this switch do? Look <laughs> at all these magical Prothean statues with their feet of clay. That's kind of what I was thinking of. But yeah, anyway, so Tria, and, and she's basically a carbon copy of one of the characters from Mass Effect 1 who the doctor she talks to, I think it's Tassoni is her name, and um, they're both researching what happened to the Protheans and in the course of this film, we discover that the Protheans were transformed into these aliens called the Collectors. So I'm sorry, Rory, this is sort of a revelation in Mass Effect 2. Okay, so this is revealed in Mass Effect 2. I kind of re- like worked out that as soon as these bug monsters came up, I was like, oh, they turned them into their own kind, right? Yeah. Like straight away. <laughs> it's like as soon as... So while they're busy pissing about with this ancient tech jamming device, this massive spaceship uh, appears above the colony and unleashes a swarm of uh, alien wasps, which paralyze the colonists. And I was like, picnics. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Put your hand over your pants of Pepsi. (laughs) It was just like that bit with uh, Mr. Bean in the park trying to enjoy a jam sandwich. (laughs) <laughs> but as soon as these like as soon as these wasps come down and paralyze these people it's just like oh they're gonna turn them into their own kind right that's the thing and i sort of thought it was gonna happen right there i was like hoping that when delta team come back all these bug monsters would erupt out of the corpses of the colonists and i was just like oh no they're just gonna take them back into their spaceship and deal with them in some pods over there instead but as soon as you saw uh there's this little girl alice who I guess it's just like someone Vega knows. I think it's, but... it's the blonde girl. Yeah. She's called April. Oh, April. Sorry. Um, but th- there's no other relationship apart from she's a little girl. He's a meathead and she's like really into soldiers. But you see the bug monsters, these kind of, they look a little bit like the Skadar from Perfect Dark. They sort of scoop them, uh, the paralyzed colonists in these pods 
and take them away. And I was just like, oh, they're going to turn them into bug monsters too. And then like later on, this is like this big revelation. And I was like, okay. No, I think you should give yourself some credit there because my first thought when I see people being attacked by monsters is like, they're going to be turned into bug monsters. You're like, oh, naturally, that's how it happens. Uh, like, so are the collectors the reapers or? No. So um, the collectors, as we've established, used to be uh, Protheans. And I think they were turned into collectors by the series' big bad, which is called the Reapers. And okay. The Reapers are these ginormous sentient spacecraft. Okay. And um, they kind of are there to reset the universe. So basically, 50,000 years ago was the last time the universe was reset by the Reapers. So, like, but who called them the reapers? Because surely you <laughs> you, you, you you reap what you sow. And I know so that. Like the <laughs> That's whole just idea. something we don't talk about. But like the whole idea that oh, what should we call this alien race? Well, we don't know what they do, but we don't call them the reapers. And then it turns out they literally reap what they sow. And you're like, oh. <laughs> That's convenient. If, if memory serves, I think they identify themselves as the Reapers. Um, that's knowledge coming from a cutscene I saw 10 years ago. Okay, so the Reapers introduce themselves as the Reapers, and yes. then the humans are like, ooh, I wonder what their plan is. Yeah, no, they don't, they don't arrive and are like, we're friends. We call ourselves the Reapers. <laughs> um, I mean, at least, like the, at least the board, it's like, well, what do they do? It doesn't say so in the name. They don't just board people, unless that's what they, unless that's what they call it. It's just like, we're going to board the hell out of you guys. And everyone's like, I don't know what that is, but I don't like the sound of it. I mean, the, the classic Arthur C. Clarke novel Childhood's End sort of deals with this discussion. So it's a slight, well, I guess, sort of spoilers for this. But I mean, part of the plot is about how these aliens don't want to reveal themselves because they look like the devil. <laughs> they don't want to, um, you know, they, they spent like, I don't know how many decades ingratiating themselves and being friends of the of the humans. And I think they are genuinely friends of the humans. There's not sort of an ulterior motive, but they're just really worried about how fucking monstrous they look. So anyway, I hope you now understand everything there is to understand about Mass Effect, but no. <laughs> I think one of, the, one of the strengths of this is that it is just a sliver of 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 the of the universe so yeah and i think i think that's 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 the benefit of the film that it doesn't get it has all these details and sure there is still like big dollops of exposition but at the same time it doesn't try and get too bogged down in it as much as it yeah. perhaps... it is all about the whiz bang yeah it's mostly an action packed zap zap film which is one of my favorite genres <laughs> action packed zap zap film i remember that Isle of Blockbuster video. Um, I think it's one of those things where, yeah, basically it's this squad of Marines. Once they get back to the colony, it's like, okay, mission, secure the turret. And then that doesn't work out. It's like, okay, mission, uh, get into the secret research lab. And that sort of doesn't work out. They get there, but then they have to get out again. And then it's just like, new mission. Just to interrupt you a moment, like one of the choices since that's the, the reason Detra of Mass Effect is um, like, should Vega shoot the giant laser at the spaceship when it's not quite ready to shoot, you know, he mm -hmm. shoots it at 50% power and it bounces off the shields of the collector spaceship. And so 
It would have been really funny if it bounced straight right back at them. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, credit where credit's due. I don't think it forgets that portion of Mass Effect. It is about the difficult choices. Yeah, but I know it, for sure. This this might as well have been called Mass Effect difficult choices. <laughs> I think it would make more sense than Paragon Lost because, uh, you know, as we've established, the per- part of the point of the games is that you're either like a virtuous Paragon or not, and. You know, I don't think at any point James Vega says, oh, I've lost my Paragon rating. <laughs> I'm not going to get the best ending. <laughs> but he's one of those characters who it's like after saving the colony first time round, these hollow admirals are basically saying, hey, Vega, you're so great. Well done. And he's like, oh, I'm being so modest. I'm such I'm not a hero. And then like at the end of the film, after he's made his choice, he's like, I don't know what I want anymore, but I know I'm no hero. And he spends the whole time talking about how he's not a hero. And everyone's talking about how much he is a hero. And you could see, like, there's a bit of conflict there, but I just don't really care. Like, who gives a shit if you're a hero or not? <laughs> I just love one of his mates to say that. Like, that sorry, that Tria lady. She, He's, like, on his knees in the rain by the memorial of all the dead colonists. And, he's like, and she goes... And she says, who gives a shit if you're a hero or not? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I'm not, I, I find it very difficult to take praise. I, I don't like receiving compliments too much because I also am not very good at giving compliments. <laughs> um, so I can see where he's coming from as a character, but it just makes for like such an inert lead in that respect. Yeah. It's like, that's, yeah, difficult choices, yada, yada, yada. But um, I just sort of like... I think I think this film sort of bungles those um, moments when it really should be those are the sort of flashpoints of high emotion and drama. Mm. I mean, I was actually deeply confused by by the ending because um, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the middle if there's anything to say, <laughs> but yeah. it, it does end with this sort of this this choice where he has to choose saving um, Tria who has some important intel about the collectors on her person. She's flying towards the planets in a burning escape pod. And then she also he also has the choice of saving all the conlists which have been trapped by the collectors. And he decides to sacrifice the conlists because the data is most important. And I thought that was bold i had forgotten <laughs> i've been told this information back in my century <laughs> okay but you know you see like little april who think she dies her her mum christine dies all these people die and i was like whoa i that that's bold but then there's this weird flashback where i thought what they're going to do is change the ending so you, you basically got two endings kind of like clue but it, it doesn't really. It's just more, it's like more information about everyone dying inside the collectorship. It is very strange. He does this, like, after he's made this choice, he does this anger running into the rain. And then he kind of flips around into like a sort of nightmare and then smushes his face into the mud. And it's this kind of like, yeah, I thought they were going to like reload the save file. Like I've done that in video games where I've made a bad choice and it's just like, oh, quick game, <laughs> start it again. 
And no, it just plays out, but like a more negative version of it. Like yeah. it's the exact same thing, but now we see like the child saying, he's going to save us, right? And then we see like just, <laughs> and then we... yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Sure, I'll get but right not that guy. It. He's just been crushed by a boulder, but we'll be fine. And then you see one of his other teammates just saying, "What did you do, man?" And then it's like, did those bits happen, or did they not? Like, couldn't those bits be in the previous bit? That's what what I was saying about like bungling the ending. It's like yeah. this because when that, that binary choice came, I'd be like. Well, of course he's going to save the colonists. And then it happened. And it was just like, oh shit, he did it to save Tria. And mm. I was really taken aback. And then they do this like redo of the ending. And I thought, oh, well, now they're going to just go down the safe choice route because they're going to give us both and, and ruin it. But then they just gave us the one we already had. And it's yeah. just like, now I'm confused. <laughs> and, and it doesn't help that the animation is so kind of awkward yeah and and not it doesn't flow very well so i honestly couldn't tell what he did he seems to grab the control stick and the set with the same result i mean i i really do want to credit the ending of this film because i i honestly thought they're going to do that thing where he gets to have his cake and eat it and he doesn't really have a binary choice he manages to save both by some miracle so I applaud it for not doing that, but they really should have taken out that bizarre flashback thing because it, all it does is really confuse me. No! I did this! I made the choice! I abandoned them to die! I didn't know how to save you! I'm sorry, I would have given my life if I could! There just wasn't enough time! It also just confused me in terms of like what his actual options were. Because at that moment, they've kind of flown into the enemy spaceship where all the colonists have been held prisoner. Um, they're in this little spaceship. So his choice is what to sort of swoop in and save the colonists because both the ma the massive alien spaceship and Tria are heading into the planet's atmosphere at the exact same time. So is he going to pilot the alien spaceship? Is he going to swoop in in his little shuttle pod and scoop up all the colonists and fly out again? Because like the other reason for saving Tria is, as you say, uh, she has this basically USB wristband which um, has all this intel about the collectors. And the reason she has this is because one of the number who uh, is a survivor from the colony and is with the Delta team is this guy called Messner, who I did not make any note of until it turns out he betrays them. <laughs> <laughs> he does not appear in my notes until it turns out he's... It's interesting. Yeah, he looks kind of like Ash Ketchum if he grew up. <laughs> he's got like a beard and shades. Um, and he's a mole and a member of this human supremacist group called Cerberus. And the idea is that he is actually in league with the collectors because he's the one who set up the beacon in order to bring the collectors to the colony. And in so doing, could gather knowledge and data to give back to Cerberus, which seems like a really like 
that's a big gamble. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I find it incredibly confusing. I mean, when when it turned out this guy was a Cerberus operative, and then they immediately s- explained that this was a human supremacy group, I was really happy because you know I was I knew you were because you're a this. human supremacist. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're a human supremacist. Oh, um, absolutely. You're like fuck the dolphins. Fuck the dolphins up there. Kick a squirrel. Um, no, so. One of the interesting things about Mass Effect 2 is that um, you are working with Cerberus for the, for the, for the game. Um, and as I said earlier, Earth is new to the party it is, and, and Cerberus feels like they should have more of a dominant voice. So effectively, yeah, they do feel like the, the British National Party, um, but in space. <laughs> oh my god the bnp in, in spice, spice. <laughs> um but yeah it's, it just tells you that the they are also the only people who are taking this intergalactic threat seriously so you have this really kind of interesting tension in mass effect 2 about you you're doing this for the greater good but you're working with some some kind of shits basically um but saying so i'm glad that you're immediately told in this film what their deal is because i knew you'd be watching it and you probably wonder who the hell cerberus is but unfortunately it's very confusing that like basically human power group a member of them is working with aliens who seem to want to kill humans i don't understand this in the slightest i think yes it's it's his play to like oh in order to understand this threat we have to work with this threat so his idea is to sort of in the end, betray the collectors mm. too, because he's just using the access to the spaceship in order to gather the data on on them, which is why he also sort of kidnaps Tria so that she can learn their kind of backstory and the history of them. But also it comes as no surprise when the collectors turn to Mester and like, your usefulness has reduced to zero, human. Time for your ascension. And this is like, no duh. Yeah, no shit, Sherlock. I mean... If he just fought one step ahead, it's like, okay, so now once I've brought all the colonists onto the collectorship, what can I, what else can I do? I could do some back rubs. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, uh, you know, he, he didn't really have his exit plan there, did he? Yeah. And that, that's the thing. And that's like, that brings me back to the sort of the intel and the choice that Vader has to make. And the fact that, oh, you know, yes, all these colonists might die, but the information that is on that wristband could potentially save millions in the future. But also, like, you're on their alien spaceship. You've got a bunch of aliens. Like, surely there's enough intel lying around. You could, like, it's, it can't just all be on one central storage unit. Just grab an alien skull and do some analysis on it or check one of their mobile phones and click <laughs> click home on Google Maps and then you'll find out where their home world is. Like... And I think outside the box, man. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe at the end of the film when he's getting his medal and everyone's being really nice to him, they're just sort of trying to make him feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, we could have really used that collector spaceship. Yeah. Oh, by the way, Vader, they want you for the N7 program. And he's like, really? It's just like, nah, they hate your guts. <laughs> <laughs> Interestingly, the whole N7 thing, which um, it's, it's basically the, the top special ops of the... Uh, the alliance navy um in mass effect 3 
he is given the notification that he wants to that, to be part of the program. So this film kind of sh- shits on that bit of law. <laughs> so that's <laughs> again, it's a good ending for the film, but you know, you just think, have you actually played Mass Effect? Well, my wife was half watching this movie, and when it sort of wrapped up, she just turned to me and said, "So he let that little girl and her mum die so he could fuck the blue lady." It does seem a lot like that, but yeah, I you know your your point is valid that the film try and makes you feel that this wristband full of important intel will be really useful, and you know to the film's credit, it does help make this seem like a hollow victory a hollow you know at the end of the day he's he is still told you did the right thing but this sort of data is going to be used in a sort of nebulous way he doesn't really know if this is going to be worth all those deaths you know yeah i mean because also he's like a dumb dumb so how's he possibly (laughs) how's he possibly going to know that any of it makes any use and i think some people who've who i was reading some reviews of this film and some people who've who remember mass effect 3 and mass effect 2 a little better than i they did sort of point out that okay yeah that data was good but really is shepherd commander shepherd who who does everything (laughs) (laughs) so was it really worth it i don't know so yeah he shows up in mass effect 3 is like but 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 look look we found out all this information about the collectors and they're like yeah yeah (laughs) yeah we found that out on mass effect 2 mate surely I, i imagine that the collectors show up it, like anyway like they've been invited by this these to, to this colony to you know collect all these humans they're gonna be like yeah let's do it again we don't like necessarily need to like go to their home world they'll come to us eventually in mass effect 2 it does sort of begin with another colony being attacked by the collectors and during the course of the game you a scientist develops an antidote so you don't get affected by the bugs much like in this film and then you end the game kind of like on the collector ship where you make similar discoveries about how the colonists are being turned their dna has been harvested for some evil purpose so the, so the fact that this happens in both mass effect paragon lost and mass effect 2 suggests that what vader did just like you just like it was going to happen anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like oh my god, all this hundreds of colonists have played. But at least we got this intel. It's just like yeah, but that's been that's happening elsewhere as well. Yeah, it's like we'll know all this stuff in a week's time anyway. If I if memory serves, as I said, if 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 um, Shepard is working for Cerberus in Mass Effect Two, and Vega is working for the Alliance in Paragon Loss, then I guess the argue it, it really depends on how good how nice Cerberus was being and sharing this information with the Alliance, I suppose. Ve- Vega can hopefully sleep at night <laughs> <laughs> but with his um Asari doctor girlfriend. I I, I don't think that relationship's gonna last. No. I mean it's it's like every time you look at her it's just like you're alive but hundreds of people are dead because of me. Yeah. So that's going to be a real mood kill. It does affect the libido. I guess we focus quite a lot on Vega and Tria as as the leads, I suppose. But, you know, it is a, a film. And as you say, with the games, it is about the supporting characters. And I think it is interesting that there are the states, you know, at the end of the film, you just have Vega, Tria and this guy called Milk, are like the only survivors from this 
not just from the squadron, but from this entire colony. It intensely annoys me that Milk, his name is spelt M-I-L-Q-U-E, and not just Milk, M-I-L-K. I don't know why, but that really, that's really pretentious. The other characters in the squadron, as I said, there's the one who's like really gropey is Essex, which leads to a few funny times where just all of a sudden Vader just shouts, Essex, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I quite enjoyed. And he's really lusty after a character called Camille, who I mentioned is voiced by Laura Bailey, recent BAFTA Games Award winner for oh, her nice. role in The Last of Us Part 2. But there's like this, I guess, like relationship tension between them because she's got her boyfriend, Mason. And I was like, oh, okay, so it's doing the whole relationships. That's in the games too. But obviously, like relationships happen in real life as well. So it's not doesn't stick out <laughs> that much. But it feels like the film makes a point of that being a thing. It's like, we're mature. Characters are in love. <laughs> but in the end, she is kidnapped and trapped in a giant armor bug paralyzed monster machine flying which laser creature i don't think that's from the games so i'd hope so because it's a weird thing to just stick in there well no i think i read a review where somebody said that's not from the games where did that come from because like he seemed really offended that this film would create anything out of whole cloth Mm. (laughs) but i like that sort of body horror yeah and she sort of like obliterates her boyfriend um atomizes him without her necessarily knowing because <laughs> just like she does in the bedroom <laughs> yeah uh, i'm gonna obliterate you <laughs> thanks bringing it down to the level of this film but uh i guess the other significant character is this krogan prisoner of war who vader's vader saved in the opening act and despite he's called brood and despite the fact that he's been imprisoned for two years and experimented upon the fact that Vader releases him is like, I owe you one. It's just like, I mean, yeah, like Vader saved his life. But at the same time, you have been like subjected to experiments by humans for the past two years. Did he say and experiments? I thought yeah, he said that. We, well, regardless, he's been like trapped and tested upon for two years. But now they're even because he's been released after Vader saved his life. It's like, oh, Brood and Vader are even, but Brood and the rest of you humans are known, <laughs> are far from even. He doesn't seem to hold a grudge. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's good of him. I think he's, he's, I guess he's maybe the best character in this just because he's got a bit more spice to him. Like I said, I like these Krogan guys. And he's yeah. a little bit he's a little bit like Morbo, the newsreader from Futurama, <laughs> with his kind of like attitude and life. So it's a bit of a shame when he uh bites the bullet. Um, the Krogan are always really entertaining and I think they're kind of fan favourite creatures. Um I mean the reason why I replayed Mass Effect One for the first time was because I, I sacrificed my Krogan and I really regretted it. <laughs> um and they've got this fascinating sort of backstory about how, you know, they're brick shithouse monster creatures. And so, again, I guess hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years before the games begin, like a virus was introduced to them. So they are, their reproduction rate, like I've 
huge quantity of their children die. So there's this real pathos where then they now live in a society which kind of shuns them a bit. And so, you know, you, you meet a group of Krogan in this film called the Blood Pack, but they, they are not all Krogan are evil, not all Krogan are Blood Pack. But as you say, they're also just like, they're the Mass Effect version of Klingons and just a lot of fun. I remember you. The Alliance Marines who bested the Blood Pack and their Battlemaster Vega. Thought they shipped you off to the Citadel months ago to stand trial. They didn't have the quad, so they kept me here as a test subject. Figured it was safer than transporting me. I know the score, human. You're outnumbered and outgunned, but I can get you off this rock. All you have to do is open the cage. Keep on dreaming, ugly. You're still a blood pack mercenary. I think we'll take our chances with the buds. Um, but yeah, I, I think the sort of like the rest of them, it's it's pretty cookie cutter marine. Like it's the one with glasses. <laughs> that's but his that's character. The, that's, but that's the thing. Like I said, like playing this stuff, living this space war fantasy is probably quite entertaining but when it's distilled into feature film form again it's just like a facsimile of a facsimile and you just have lots of you know on your feet soldier stuff everyone like drinking whiskey out of a flask for courage and there's nothing particularly original about what happens but i could see that the i could see behind everything the depth of the lore and the backstory and the world building i can see a lot of work has gone into that and unlike you with maybe the bayonetta movie where you were like this has put me off ever playing the games this has made me like oh okay maybe i'll give mass effect a go i don't know if i'd bother playing all three um that seems like a lot of time and energy i just don't have in my life at the moment but hey i mean i think mm. I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about how this film came to be made, but I, it almost feels like um, the Ve- the Vega character was sort of kind of introduced in the games with a with deliberately blank bit of backstory to have a film made out of. But so many of the characters are so interesting that you could have you could have. I mean, I do think that some of the characters from the games have had their own graphic novel spin offs and things. But that's the thing. If it's like filling in a gap, like, oh, now having seen this film, if you encounter the Vader character in the game, you'll be like, oh, so this is the guy where this happened to him. But like, he still seems so bland and boring. It's it's just one of those things where it's just like, it's like his backstory is like stuck on the back of his head. And it's just <laughs> like, oh, that's there. Oh, I guess that is something that happened to him but doesn't explain you know anything more about him like i don't really learn about it doesn't seem like he changes like Mm -hmm. at the start of the film he seems like a bit upset and he's unsure of himself and doesn't want to be called a hero and he just is in total love with commander shepherd and what they did to sacrifice himself to save millions of people just like well i want to sacrifice myself to save billions of people (laughs) Uh, and then you get to the end of the film he's had an opportunity to save millions of people he kind of does if the intel works out and he's still like "Mm -hmm -hmm -hmm." Uh, i'm so conflicted and boring 
he is warned at the start of the film not to idolize Shepard because that sort of heroism comes at a horrible cost, and he learns that by the end. So there is that. No, he doesn't. They say, "Oh, Commander Shepard's alive." He's like, "Ooh, what really? Ooh, my favorite." <laughs> no, I think he's like he realizes that he he's done the heroic acts like Shepard, but he realizes the truth of the warning he was given earlier it it feels crap to be commander shepherd i think um if only that was sold through the performance and animation so i guess actually to wrap things everything up um you said that play watching this film i think we're on the same page this is a fairly boilerplate film with a nicely nasty ending for our main character but we don't really care about the characters. I think this is, yeah, just the same as like, as you say, spin-off novel, spin-off graphic novel. This is spin-off movie. It's it's extra material for the fan uh, if they want it. Um, as a complete newcomer to the franchise, it's more I could see glimmers of the appeal of the games, but it was very generic. There were some effective bits of action and... Yeah, I think like the big choices, it, it is interesting and and brave perhaps to to go down that route. But as I say, I think it it just sort of like mishandles it, and I can understand how an ending like that wouldn't be satisfying because it's not the sort of heroic, grand, happy ending. But it's equally unsatisfying as a sort of like dark, bleak, nasty ending because it just drops the ball and delivering the uh, the impact and emotion. And it just doesn't help when there's some ropey animated man just screaming, no. Yeah, and the performance, you know, Freddie Prince Jr.'s performance is, is pretty boilerplate as well. You know, it's like... In the end, there's still really no spark or life uh, in that sort of central character. And yeah, this isn't a... As bad as Wing Commander, <laughs> which was a real chore to get through, but this yes, was getting better. This was not. Uh, this wasn't an easy watch either. So we have now lost the Paragons, whatever that means. <laughs> um, don't know if they're going to make any more Mass Effect films. Don't, I, I think it'll be unlikely. I suppose. I think the Mass Effect series is, is sort of in stasis i would suppose i mean even with this legendary edition it's not exactly a new mass effect game is it so but do you think that there might be an opportunity for say like a tv version where it has more time to flesh out characters and story or or do you think like the mass effect name is now uh slightly been diminished by all the all the reception to andromeda and the yeah i think it's such. been a bit diminished if i'm honest because i mean there's still a lot of love as, as, as you proved at the start of this episode, you can't really talk about Mass Effect without that big elephant in the room. So uh, I guess watch this space. But it'd be great. I mean, I'd love a Mass Effect TV show, especially with things like The Mandalorian being able to be shot in like a fully realized Star Wars universe, but all in a soundstage with the, that volume thingy. But, you know, that's wishful thinking. Watch this space indeed. Ha ha funny <laughs> in the meantime though how can people keep in touch with games and film 
You can find information about the podcast and video game movies through many channels, including our website, gamesonfilm.witchsite.com slash podcast, and social media on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at gamesonfilmpod. All episodes of the podcast are available on SoundCloud, Spotify Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Acasts, indeed, hopefully wherever you get your podcasts and how you're listening to us now. So please do like, rate, review, share, and subscribe. You can contact us, gamesonfilmpod at gmail.com, and also we're individually on Twitter, at Rory Steele for me. I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for this episode, and indeed all episodes, was composed by David Lightfoot. But you know, it's for me personally, it's been a pleasure to just delve into the world of Mass Effect, which is, like I said, it's a series I have a lot of affection for. I think, you know, it was... It was definitely there for me when I was having a real tough time. You know, it was fun to be in a universe where I had some control over the situation. You know, I was like maybe living, I was in a time of my life where I was like feeling like things were very much out of my control. So it felt like a warm blanket this episode, even if, you know, don't smell it too closely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> a little bit scratchy oh has, has the cat been sick on it again oh dear <laughs> but still but yeah plenty of pleasure and um looking forward to our next episode i've been harry i've been rory take, take care. care bye, bye. bye.